0: Father God, may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Father, I pray that um, you enter into the words today. Uh, Lord, otherwise it's just more words in a world of a lot of words And it's just more words in a Christian culture with a lot of words. So we need you to enter in. We need you to uh, impact it in such a way that it's not just word, but it's word and power, word and spirit. Uh, Father God, take my imperfect words um, and speak through them, Lord God, in spite of me. Uh, use your word in in Mark chapter 12 as he was writing to this church in Rome that was under such heavy persecution to encourage us in the 21st century in America who you'd have us be still as followers of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his mighty name and authority, the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, so if someone walked with you, and maybe we'll just even take this past week. So think about this week. It's always funny because people, you might have to stop and think for a second. Because people say to me, how was your week? And I'm like, okay, last week, what did I do? I almost need to look at a calendar, right, to remind me what I did. Um, all right, so, but if someone walked with you last week and and really was observant, and maybe even was more than observant, uh, maybe they have some power to look not just at your actions, but your actions and your motivations and your thoughts What would they conclude, just be honest with yourself, what would they conclude was most important to you? So, you know, what were your priorities? How did you spend your time? Some of you might say, well, I'm a student, I was at school, or I'm I'm in the workforce and I was at work. All right, so how did you spend your time there? How did you spend your free time when you had extra, quote-unquote, time or time of leisure? How did you spend your money? How did you handle your relationships? How did you respond to mom and dad? How did you respond to your wife? How did you respond to your kids? How did you respond to strangers if you were observed? And what would that speak into what is most important to you? How would your words this past week, the stories you told your responses to people, how would that reflect what was most important to you? And then again, if we can crawl a little deeper and we get into your heart and get into your mind and what was—what does your mind tend to be consumed on, what would that reflect what was most important to you? And what if that was Jesus walking with you? Because He did. (laughs) Right? He did. Whether you are aware of it or not. And what if after an honest assessment, you're like, okay, Jesus, let's sit down. Here is my week. Here is my words. Here are my actions. Here are my responses. Here are my thoughts. Here is my motivations and my attitudes to those that are close to me and those that were, uh, you know, that are total strangers to me. Here is how I spent my time. Here is how I spent my money. All right, Lord, let's sit down. Let's have an honest assessment. And, and you start talking about what is, what, what is most important to you and all that. And what if after that assessment, Jesus, ever patient, ever loving, just says, hey, listen, you were really wrong. Where, where, you, were, where you were emphasizing this is most important, it, it's just off the mark. Would you change? How many, times did you, how many times have you engaged in something, maybe a project or <laughs> a, a, a geometry equation, uh, you know, um, working, working on, on the house, uh, you're balancing your checkbook, whatever it may be. You work on something and you're so sure you've got it right. You're just so sure you've got it right until you realize you were wrong. I, I don't pride myself as an auto mechanic, like if you know me pretty well, like I'll put your carpet in any day of the week, I, I can help you paint a room, but you don't necessarily want my hands in your engine. Um, but my son's car broke down this week and uh, he said, Dad, um, I, 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 my car was overheating, I, I'm losing... Uh, antifreeze. So I said, all right, um, I'm not a mechanic, but let's look at it. He pours the antifreeze into his little radiator container, and it just starts, in the middle of the engine, just starts, guzz- you know, just just pouring out. So I'm like, all right, so, you know, I'm not a genius. I, don't, I, I can't take apart a transmission, but it's like a lot of Auto mechanics is going, okay, that part is broken, right? How do I disassemble that part? Being very careful to pay attention how I disassemble it and then buy the new part and reassemble it the opposite way that I disassembled it, and hopefully all is well. So this is the part, this cheapy little plastic part mounted inside of my son's block on his engine. And you can see I like brought it to the auto parts store, and he's like, store, and he's like, well, that's broke. Yeah, so it's got hoses that hook up to it, so I took this apart, and I I took the hoses off, and it's got a couple of bolts, and I'm like, I can see where it's broken, I took it apart, I ordered a new part, and <laughs> this whole thing is like, it's like a $3 part, um, but I put it back on, I bolted it, there's a couple other details of the story, Bruce knows, so I won't tell that part of the story, I bolted it back on, put the hoses back on, feeling pretty good about myself at this point, you know? Like Randy, maybe, you know, kindergarten auto mechanic, right? And then there's this, right on top here, there's this temperature sensor that goes in here. And I'm thinking, easiest part. Everything's done. bolted on, hooked up, hoses on, new piece. I was really careful about how I took it apart. Put this sensor in, and there's this little clip, this little clip that goes in. And I was so sure, so sure how I took this clip out. This clip was inside this slot here, and I was just sure of it, and I'm like, it doesn't seem to fit, but so I wiggle it, and I push it, and I try and maneuver it, and it's got to go in here because I know how I took it out. And and, and I push it, and I maneuver it, and I wiggle it, and I break it. I break. Stupid clip, right? (laughs) Derek, auto mechanics. Look at this plastic clip. Stupid clip. So, I um, I go inside and and uh, my wife, my lovely wife, is on is on her phone going, I have found a diagram of what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> like I probably could have done that too, right? But um, so I'm like, all right, Cheryl, sure, let me look at it. And I realize uh, I realize very quickly. Uh, much to my chagrin, as my lovely wife um, looked this up, that I was what I was so sure of was what? Wrong. I, I broke the stupid clip because I was putting it in wrong. I, I was forcing it in such a way that it wasn't meant to be forced, and it actually was much simpler than I was attempting to do. But what if how I prioritize my life and, and what I say is most important, <clears throat> money, popularity, if only I can get people to like me, romance, my vices, how I judge success, maybe, maybe getting straight A's, maybe working toward retirement. I, if I have <laughs> enough comfort, enough entertainment, enough security, enough pleasure... What, what if all those things that, that I'm seeking say, these are important, these are important, these are important, these are important. Maybe I'm not even consciously saying them, but if you walked with me for a week, my life would be saying it. And what if as I keep keep working at those things and calling them most important, I just keep coming up with broken clips? Oh, I broke it again, I broke it again, I broke it again. And then what if God says, hey, listen, listen, Randy... I have a diagram for you, if you'd only look at it, and 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 you're just you're you're really just not doing it right. But if you trust me in this, if you just trust me in this, and you're willing to change and you're willing to adjust, things will be much, much more beautiful. And you won't end up with the brokenness (laughs) that you're constantly running into. Will adjust. Uh, Mark twelve twenty eight. We're just going to start real quick with this verse, and we're just going to be re- we're just going to be going this morning through tw- from twenty eight through thirty four. Um, it says, "One of the teachers of the law." So this is a smart guy. This is a religious guy. This is a guy that knows his stuff when it comes to the Bible, and what God says. And he says, "One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating." That jumps back to what we've gone through last week. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, or he asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? So so last week we saw that there were some different groups that came to Jesus asking insincere questions, and their whole goal in asking those questions was to do what? Right, to trap Jesus. And we talked about last week how they underestimated Jesus' wisdom and they underestimated his power. Is there anything that feels different about this question? And I'm just asking you, is there anything to you that feels different about this question? It's a pretty straightforward question. Okay, it's pretty straightforward. It's not, it's not like a trick question. Okay. Doesn't seem to be a trick question. Maybe, Maybe he's actually seeking, and it's kind of impossible to totally figure this out. And and, and in Matthew's account, he still talks about like it's a test uh, upon Jesus. But you, you get this sense that there's some at least this guy is moving towards sincerity. That this isn't like I'm going to trap you in your words. It's like hey, okay, Jesus. What's most important? And I sense that there 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 at least is some level of sincerity in this. And I think it's important to remember, and just pause here just for a minute to say it's okay to ask God questions. And sometimes you grow up in the church and you you, you know, and it's like you're given so many answers all the time that you're like. Maybe I just should know all the answers somehow, and, and, and it's like I, I feel dumb to ask any questions. But yet there's all these questions that are really rattling around your mind, right, in your heart. I don't think God's freaked out by your questions. And I think if you're honest with the Bible, we just at Youth Group just went through this, this these past few months that just looked at the Psalms and looked at all these questions that were asked through the Psalms. The Bible is loaded with people asking questions. I don't think God's afraid of your questions. I think I think that you that, that God actually welcomes questions when they f- when they flow out of a sincere heart. Now, now some people, and again, I, I could put a little asterisk next to this. I can say, some people just ask questions because they like living in the questions. I've realized that some people are as secure in the questions as other people who really like black and white are secure in concrete answers. Like I've met both those kinds of people. Some people just want to be like, here's the answer, brother. Here's the answer, brother. Black and white. Everything's black and white. And there's other people that are like, let's just ask another question. Because because you might find people that feel safe in either one of those places. But it's not about us feeling safe. It's about us creating an environment that we're very, very honest and say that we are finite and God is infinite and we don't have all the answers. And this is a broken world in which God doesn't, you know, wants to work in an opposite direction of the brokenness. Our heart is broken. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We don't have it all together. We're seeking it. We're finite people seeking an infinite God. But we also, at the same time, as we ask hard questions in that, say we have a God that wants to reveal himself to us, that wants to show himself to us more and more and more, seek him while he may be found. And that's why he's given us the Spirit of God, those who believe in him. that's why he's revealed himself through Christ. that's why he reveals himself through his Word, and that when it's the word and power and it's spirit and truth, we walk in that and we say, "Wow, God, you're revealing yourself to me. I can know you better." but don't be afraid of the questions." this guy asked, this guy asked this question. And it's a really big question. He's like, of all the commands of God. Now, you got to remember, the Pharisees, actually, uh, the Pharisees actually came up with all these lists and all these rules and all these commands off the commands of God. I think there was like 613 of them. 200-something were, were uh, positive commands. 300-something were negative commands. And he's like, of all the commands of God, all the things that God tells me to do, what is the most important? Verse 29, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So this man came to, you know, Fran, it's interesting that you said this man came to Jesus with a fairly direct question. And Jesus almost a little uncharacteristically gives him a direct answer. And again, I I just wonder if that speaks to the sincerity of his heart. But whatever the case may be, he says there is unequivocally one thing that is the single most important thing above all things in your life. There's one, and it's to love the one true God. He's like everything that's going on your work, your family, your priorities, your 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 busy time, your leisure time, your 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 pleasure, I mean everything that's going on your technology, you, you know, the, your commitments, your promises, how you your your money, everything, everything, everything. The most important thing out of it all is to love the one true God. And and, and notice he, he, this is This is the one God. He emphasizes this isn't just some ambiguous cosmic power. This isn't just some ambiguous higher power. This is the God of Israel that has revealed himself to his people through his word. One God above all other gods, small g. The one true God, the personal God, the real God, love him and and do this with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. In other words, everything that makes me me has to love God. My, my, my inner being and my will has to, it really the most important thing on the inside is to love God. My, my heart, again, it, the, the heart in that day, they would have understood it as, again, the essence of the person. Everything that makes me me, my desires and my passions are to turn toward a love for God. My mind, my intellect, my decisions, my My thought processes, they're not just... We talked about it in a small group a while back, how often, you know, if we let it go, it's just like my my brain is... I think I mentioned this even with the One Life, where so often, like, just monkeys just jumping from limb to limb to limb to limb. Monkeys jumping... You know, like, that's just my thoughts. And God's like, no, really your thought life and your intellect and your mind is to be renewed by God and to love Him. And my body... The, the, my my very you know sometimes we 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 talk all about spiritual 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 and God's like even your body your, your physical makeup it, that's not unimportant your body your activity everything that God has blessed you with physically and your resources are to love God and, and this is a, this is the highest love spoken of here right the, the Greeks said. Different words for love, and and if you've gone to church, it's like it's like you know love one oh one, right? There were there were words for romantic love, and words for brotherly love, and words for friendship love, and 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 here's this highest love, this this love that that just gives all and sacrifices all and and doesn't hold back and and just it's unconditional. That's the love that's spoken of here, this agape love. Without restraint, without even thought of putting yourself first. It's not a love, I think, that's void of emotion. You know, again, we can go in either extreme. We say, well, you know, loving God's not an emotional thing, brother. I actually think it is an emotional thing. (laughs) Um, I, I, I think God wants me to set my affection on him. I think God wants me to do that passionately. I, I, I think God wants to have, if I could say this and not get weird about it, a romance with his people. I, I think God wants me to worship and, and, and adore him with all my being, including my emotion. I think I'm supposed to take pleasure in God. And realize that all the other things that i 'm trying to take pleasure in ultimately are, are actually just you know square pegs in a round hole where only God will f- what only God would fill, but I do think that we have to say that the, the, the foundation of this love is not just an emotional response to God, although that in one sense is very appropriate to set my affection on and adore and the foundation of this love is that I would have a commitment. <laughs> That would determine my course of action in life. So, so my wife is down in nursery. But when on my wedding day, I, I committed to my wife. And, it, you know, it wasn't just, Tim Keller says this in the meaning of marriage. It's not just about, I'm not just on my wedding day saying, Hey, we've really loved each other up to this point. Isn't that swell? That's not what you're doing on your wedding day. You're saying, we, yeah, we love, have loved each other up to this point, right? We just went through this this week, right, Stephen and Rachel. But now I'm committing to love you in the unknown future. And I will set a course of action based on that covenant promise. And the, the reason you can do this is because that is how God has loved you. You couldn't do it otherwise. That God has set his affection on you. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love, why? Because he first loved us. Right? He first loved us. So really, I'm, I'm loving God in response to his love toward me. I'm loving God because he has first loved me and I'm saying yes to a relationship. It's so cool. Jesus says, think about how he words it. He says, there's this one true God. And to that people, he begins it before he even says, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Right? And he says that he is our God and he is your God. It's this, it's this personal connection, this personal relationship. How is he our God? How is he your God? Because I chose to love him? No. The Bible always says it's the other way around because he first loved you. Israel, I didn't love you because you're great among the nations. I didn't love you because you're strong. I didn't love you because you're big and powerful. I loved you because you're puny and weak. And I have set my affection upon you and I have given you a covenant promise. And he has done the same for all those who will turn in faith to him. He set a course of action based upon his commitment to you to say, I will seek your best. And God's ultimate expression of love is Jesus, right? We know John 3.16. We know it's held up on the football games, right? Uh, you know, kicking the extra point. John 3.16. What's John three sixteen? I don't for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's cool. It, it, sometime do like a 316 study. It's, it's really cool what you come up with. 1 John 316. This is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So as Jesus, as Jesus has been the greatest demonstration of God's love for you and he has given everything for you and saved you and rescued you in that place, your response of love does not save you. His response of love has saved you. Your response of faith is just the avenue of entering into his love for you. His saving grace for you. But in that place, being loved, being rescued, being saved, as I've come to him in repentance and faith, you are Savior and you are Lord. I said, man, a God that held nothing back? A God that held nothing back from me? How how dare I hold anything back from him? Love the Lord your God. There's nothing more important. With everything you've got, heart, soul, mind, and strength, is that your first priority if you're honest and, and I know you've screwed up and I know you know I have too and I know you know there's stuff going on and there's struggles and there's fears and there's questions but but when you look at the trajectory and you're falling and and you're getting up there the trajectory Lord I just want to love you is that your first priority I want to have a commitment that sets a course of action because I have set my affection on you because you first set your affection on me and you've shown it through Jesus' blood. And Jesus takes it a step further and he, and he, he says that there's this second thing. Remember, it's the second, but obviously it dovetails like perfectly and beautifully. Actually, in Mark's Gospel quotes, Jesus as saying it's like the first. There's a second important thing for humanity to engage in and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. So it's really cu- cu- cool. Daniel, stand up for a second real quick. So Daniel Daniel woke up this morning and he dressed himself. Isn't that nice? Did you take a shower this morning? Yes. Okay, so he, Daniel got up and he showered this morning. Did you eat breakfast? No. Oh, you're not taking care of yourself as well as you <laughs> should, brother. So um, if he's, you're gonna eat lunch? Perhaps. Perhaps. I'm gonna get somebody else. No, so, uh, all right, so, but, but Daniel, by and large, he's not whittling away, right? So he, it tells me, like, he's, he's doing the basic things to take care of himself. He's bathing himself. He's feeding himself. He's, he's you know, he's, and we do this emotionally and physically and mentally. He, he, he wants what's best for himself. And then you say, well, but I, I don't like myself. And, yeah, but in, in the core, even there, you still want good for yourself, I know you're broken, I am too, and I get it and you're insecure and you know and but d- deep down you want to be loved, you want to be cared for. You want to be told like you're a value. And Jesus is like as you care for yourself, you should love other people. You should love your neighbor, he said. In Luke's gospel, right? In Luke's gospel, uh, the, the teachers of the law say, you know, this ambiguous neighbor character. Who is that? Narrow it down for me. And so Jesus tells him a story, right? So he says, well, there's this Jewish man, and he goes on this dangerous journey between uh, Jericho and Jerusalem. He gets beat up half to death, gets robbed. And there's two religious types, you know, two, two church churchgoers, and, and they both skirt around. Maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a seminary student, and they're like, yo, I'm not getting defiled by that. And then there's this guy from this neighboring country who is an unfriendly country, uh, unliked people, and he takes the time, and he says, whoa... Uh, I need to do something about this. And he, he, he bandages, bandages his wounds. He takes him into an inn. He gives money to the innkeeper at great expense to himself. I'm going to come back. I'm not just going to leave him, leave this here. I'm going to come back. If he needs anything else, I got it. And, and then Jesus says, I always love this. Jesus says, who was the neighbor to the man? They said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, well, who's the neighbor to the man? It's almost like Jesus like, you're asking the wrong question. It's not who is my neighbor, it's who can I be a neighbor to? Who is Jesus putting in front of me? Um, There's been a couple movies about uh, Mr. Rogers, right? You know who Mr. Rogers is, Fred Rogers? There's been a couple of movies. There's a documentary a year or two ago. There's a movie out right now. I think Tom Hanks plays in it. And and I haven't seen that movie, but my father-in-law just saw that movie. And he said that one of the things that impressed him so much about Fred Rogers is it seems like it seemed like um, with Mr. Rogers, he made whoever he was talking to feel like the most important person in the room. I said, isn't isn't that agape love? That whoever, really, whoever God puts in my path, you're the most important person to me right now. But again, you can't do this outside of we love because he's first loved us right the first is love your lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength the second is like it and it feeds from it it's got to be it's got to be something that feeds from that source from that same river it's got to be framed by it it's got to live in the context of it i love people because of my love relationship with god i know how to love people because of my love relationship with god i know what real love looks like because of my relationship with god And if I love God, I, I better start loving people. And I don't mean to sound that harsh, and I'm not like bringing a hammer down, but the Bible's so clear. It's like if you say, hey, I love God, I just can't stand people. Right? You ever feel like that? I just want to worship in my car, man. Church people, bleh. Some other Christians have really hurt me. Well, they've hurt me too. And, and my family member, my brother and my father and my... It's like, I love God, just people stink. <laughs> and God's like, yeah, no. It, it just doesn't work that way. Um, in fact, the Apostle John says in, in 1 John 4.20 that if you say I love God but hate your brother, you're a liar. David Garland writes, one cannot... L- Love God in isolation from one an, from one another's ones. I'm sorry. I'll read that again. David Garland said, "One cannot love God in isolation from one's other relationships in life." And we do this in the name of Jesus, right? We're not just humanitarians, and, and I'm not even knocking humanitarianism. I mean. As Christians, I think we're called to feed empty bellies. I really do. And I, th- I think we're called to, to, to come alongside people that have hurting bodies and hurting minds and hurting, you know, and, and hurting uh, emotions. And I, I think there's something that we should deeply, deeply be moved by, just like Jesus, that he had compassion on the people. But we do this in the name of Jesus. So, so if we give that glass of water, if we give that bowl of soup, if we, if we come alongside the hurting, we're doing this with an eye on eternity and an eye on the spiritual, knowing that this person needs holistic help in the name of Jesus. And we love in such a way that that doesn't just make someone feel good about themselves all the time, if I can say that, right? The, the, the real question we should be asking is, 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 what is it to work for the best of Daniel? What is it truly to work for his best? And sometimes that means, and Daniel has the same question for me, what is it to work for the best for Randy? And if I'm really honest about that, sometimes in love with great patience, we have to say hard things. And we have to do hard things. Right? What's best? All right, let's start wrapping this up here. Um, So this guy, this guy, it's kind of, it's kind of comical to me. He's like, you know what, Jesus, you're right. <laughs> like if he knew, right? You know what, Jesus, that's a really good answer. You think you're right on that one. Um, it, and it's interesting because they're most likely standing in the temple while this is all, all this is happening. And he says, you're really right. To, to love God and to love people is more important than all the religious stuff I do. And for them, it was sacrifices and and like God ordained sacrifices and givings and offerings, and and it says this is in the Old Testament. Listen, I want obedience, not sacrifice, and and to really love God and to really commit to Him, and because He's first loved me, it's more important than all that religious stuff. Not that none of that matters, right? Jesus says in Matthew, you 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 know you you. You tithe even your, 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 uh, your, your seeds and your herbs and your mint and your dill and your cumin, but you neglect the more important things, mercy and, faithful, and justice and faithfulness. You should have done the former while negle- not neglecting the latter. But you know what? It, it, it's so easy to think if I go to church enough and if I read my Bible enough and if I pray enough and if I, if I go to youth group enough, I go on enough retreats and, you know, rub shoulders with Christian people enough. And if I talk about God enough and go to enough Bible studies and, and I give enough money, I must be doing what's important to God. And the answer to that is a little complicated. You might be and you might not be. Because it really depends on how your heart is responding to God and all that stuff are you loving him in that place? And, and maybe here's a good gauge: go back to walking with Jesus all during the week, and if I'm only doing those things on Sundays, or I'm only doing those things in churchy settings, youth group, or I'm only doing it at the retreat, or I'm only doing it with the, when the youth pastor's with me, or I'm only doing you know. If I'm only doing it then, and the rest of the week I, I, I hardly ever give God a thought, and I treat my parents like garbage, and my spouse—I know she has needs, and I know I'm hurting her—but I, but I totally am neglecting my spouse, and 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 I'm, I'm you know I give a few bucks into the box in the back, but really I know I'm harboring my money, even though I know my neighbor is in desperate need, and I'm responding to people rudely and shortly, and and I'm boastful, and I don't listen, and I and I'm harboring secret sins, and I'm see and I'm self-seeking, and I want people to stroke my pride and I'm unforgiving and I'm unkind. Like if that's the trajectory of my life all week long, but yet, man, when I'm at church, I do all this stuff. I'm like, you know what? I very well may, well may be practicing religion, but I might not be loving God and loving people, right? And this guy's like, man, all that stuff. You know, Paul says in Romans Thirteen ten. Love is the fulfillment of God's law. It's almost like saying all that other stuff, we need to talk about it and learn about it, but it's going to naturally flow if I'm loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and I'm loving people as myself. And then in the end, you know, as kids, um, I'm sure everybody's played the, like, you're getting warmer game. You're getting warmer, I think. A couple of you girls did this at youth last week. Where's my phone? I don't know. You're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. You're cold. Now you're cold. Oh, now you're getting warmer. And it's like Jesus is saying to this guy, you know what? You're, you're getting warmer. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Now imagine, he's the real religious guy. He's looking at Jesus like he's this itinerant preacher it's like someone saying to the Pope, hey, you're doing pretty well with this God stuff. You're getting close, buddy. But he says, you're not far. You're close, but you're not really in. And it strikes me that what this man doesn't seem to realize in the moment is that God, this man, Jesus, is talking about a kingdom of which he is king. The king of this kingdom is standing right in front of him to Him. He is the Son of God and God the Son. Fully man, fully God standing in front of Him. And it's like in the end God shows His love through Jesus and it's through Jesus that I got to say, do I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind and strength? Will I call him Lord? Will I yield to him? Will I set my affection on him? Will I follow him and commit myself to him? Will that change the very course of my life? That if you walked with me, and I know I'm going to screw it up, and I know I'm going to make mistakes, and I, I get it, but if you look at the overall trajectory, you'd say, here's a guy that just wants to love God and love people. Because I've turned my life over to Jesus, the king of this kingdom. And and it's like, is this guy going to do that? We're left like, I don't know. We don't know what he does. But I think we're left that way because, again, we say, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do when the king of heaven says, this is what's most important? And to give me the right answer, you're getting really close. You can give me the right answer. Yeah, you're close. You're getting warmer. But to respond to the king with everything you've got because he has first loved you, to love him, to love him. Yeah, faith, repentance, but in the end, you're responding to a love relationship. And then, will I live according to his diagram? <laughs> Am I going to keep trying to put the, clip in the hole, put the clip in the hole, breaking it, breaking it, breaking it, or is God going to say, hey, listen, I got a better diagram for you. I got a better diagram for you. I'm going to end with this, and then we'll sing our closing song. This is a chapter you know well, and I just ask that you, you think, and you sit, and you meditate on it. I'm going to read it out of uh, the paraphrase, the message, 1 Corinthians 13, you just listen. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I am nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, And if I have faith that says to that mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. takes pleasure in the flowering of the truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will, one, will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the, of the truth, And what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incomplete will be canceled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like any infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears (laughs) and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly and the best of these three is love.